Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Around 300 years ago, somewhere in rural India, a priest and his pupil are huddled over an interesting piece of cloth. Around the edges of the cloth are beautiful illustrations of peacocks and flowers. And in the middle is a grid. Come on, mutters the pupil, and he rolls a dice. He moves a counter along the grid, corresponding to the number of the dice, until it lands on the head of a serpent. Ah! He groans, and his counter goes tumbling down the back of the snake all the way down to its tail. That, says the priest, is a reminder about karma. We must remember all our past lives are intertwined in our search for knowledge in this one. The priest picks up the dice. He looks at the people. As for me, you can see I have nearly escaped this earthly plane. He shakes the dice in his hand. Now come on, lucky number five, and rolls the dice onto the cloth. The lines between religion and stories and mythologies games can all be blurred. For example, the humble game of Snakes and Ladders is a wonderful illustration of this. I had no idea. I had no concept that Snakes and Ladders had such auspicious beginnings. But today we go in search of the game's origins and we find ourselves heading back through Victorian morality, through Indian mysticism, and onwards to the empty nothingness at the heart of the universe. Leading us down the rabbit hole is the wonderful Jacob Schmidt Madsen from the University of Copenhagen, an historian on Indian board games, who knew there was such a thing, and an expert on the culture surrounding them. Snakes and Ladders 
origins are in India with a game called Gian Chopa, the game of knowledge. And the board represented the entire universe and humanity's place within it. When they played the game, players were musing on the soul's journey through life and the nature of reality. I'm joined by Jacob Schmidt-Madsen. Is that about right for the origins? We can trace it back to the late 18th century. That's as far back as we can go. That's where we have the earliest boards. And beyond that, it becomes speculation. But through research, I mean, we can have some pretty good guesses at where it might come from. Just for our audience, you've actually been around India, haven't you, researching this game and other games as well. I mean, what was your motivation? Well, I have been playing games and designing games since I was a kid, so it's been a natural interest of mine. And then at one point when I started delving into Indian culture and language and history, I stumbled upon these fascinating game boards and this just fascinating, wide, rich, ludic culture that you find in India. And Snakes and Ladders was particularly interesting to me because it's a game that really combines a game mechanic and a theme. As you said, when you play the modern snakes and ladders, it's a pretty abstract game. You throw a die and you slide up and down snakes and ladders. But when you go back in time to the Indian game, the theme is very deeply integrated into the mechanics of the game. Nothing has not been thought of in this game. It's a beautiful example of how to marry theme and mechanics. It's funny. I suppose, why do we play board games? Is it a kind of version of reality where we kind of explore ourselves in the safety of the rules of a game? Or am I reading too much into it? No, I think board games have been played for various reasons throughout history. But one of the interesting things I find is that when I research board games, when you go back in time and look at where do they actually originate from, where do these abstract diagrams originate from, we find out that many board games are actually, to some extent, models of the cosmos. So in that sense, they are kind of a microcosms, which makes for great use in ritual settings. When you say ritual, I suppose, is there a kind of intersection between religious ritual or theatre ritual, which again is exploring ourselves and our place in the cosmos? Does it come from the same well? The earliest references we have to game playing in India are really from texts describing how games are used in rituals. The difficulty, of course, of introducing a game into a ritual is that you introduce an element of uncertainty that you don't want in a ritual because you want to be certain of the outcome when you do a ritual. So when you play games in ritual settings, they're usually rigged, so you know who the winner is going to be. So in that sense, they're sort of rigged version of the game that people might be playing in the street or in taverns or whatever. So the use of games for gambling and ritual has, you know, run alongside each other throughout history. But Snakes and Ladders isn't rigged. Snakes and Ladders is all about uncertainty. It's all about the ups and downs of life, if I'm sort of reading it correctly. What is it about India that they came up with this particular game? And maybe you could take us through the game. I think everyone knows how to play Snakes and Ladders, but just in case. <laughs> if we look at Snakes and Ladders, as people probably know today, they'll know it as Snakes and Ladders in the UK and Shoots and Ladders in the US. You're sort of looking at a grid diagram and each player has a pawn and it's placed in the bottom left of the board. And then you throw a die and you move your pawn forward and you're trying to get to the top of the board and whenever you land at the foot of a snake or at the foot of a ladder you climb to the top of the ladder when you land at the head of a snake you slide down to the tail of the snake so the game is based on pure luck there are no tactical decisions to be made you throw your die you move your one pawn and whatever happens happens and whoever gets there first wins. Just like life. Just like life. <laughs> what do the squares represent? What can we read into it? With regard to throwing the dice, I mean, we would think of it as a game of pure chance, but chance and fate is side of two sides of the same coin. So if you play it in the original Indian context, throwing the dice would be like throwing a representation of your own karma or your own fate. So the dice throws are faded. So the dice will naturally land on whatever is representing or 
reflecting your inner state at the time you're playing the game. So the big picture of the game is that it's really a game about a karmic journey through the stages of existence towards liberation. So playing the game in the Indian context is a reflection of the player's own karma and the player's own journey through life. So it's a little bit like going to a coach with a life problem and asking, you know, there are some things I need to work on here. What might it be and how might I approach it? You know, this word karma, we're sort of familiar with it, but I'm not sure if I'm familiar with it within the context of Indian culture and Indian religion. Are we talking about the idea of reincarnation and rebirth? Yes, we're talking about how the actions of past lives can influence present lives and future lives. And the thing about karma is that it matures at different rates. So some actions you'll do in this life will have like an immediate effect, whereas other things you do in this life might only come to fruition in your next life or three lives ahead or whatever. So whatever happens in your life now, you can trace that back to something that you did in a past life. So it's an explanation, I guess, for all the unfairness and injustices of life. And I suppose playing the game and the illustration of the board is a really interesting symbolic version of that. Yes, I mean, the board as a whole can be thought of as a map of the cosmos. It's a map of the universe, and each square on the board represents a quality of the universe or a principle of the universe. Squares are stages of existence, and it is also all the different possibilities of action that you find within the universe. So the game board is, again, a microcosm. Each square represents something that is reflected in the macrocosm of the universe. So you're traveling basically through the entire world when you travel up this board. And if you look at the old Indian Gyanchopa boards, you'll find that in the central column of the board, each square in the central column represents one of the seven worlds that are stacked one atop the other, and then above the seventh world, in the eighth square at the very top of the board, is the heaven of your chosen deity. Oh my god. So even in the West, the way that the Snakes and Ladders board, it's still 8 by 8, is that right? No, in the West it's usually 10 by 10, and usually the winning square is in the hundredth square. But in the Indian version, the winning square is actually in the top central row of the board meaning that you can overshoot the winning square when you move and you have to slide back down the board and try again so you'll be going in circles which is again a metaphor for rebirth you know that life does not end at the hundredth square it's not a linear idea if you overshoot the top square it's not like you kind of go even further than reaching the sort of pinnacle of life you just go back down into the dirt and have to rise again that's really interesting. i'm looking at a couple of these illustrations now i'm wondering if you could describe them for the listeners they are so beautiful the one i'm looking at the moment has got lots of flowers around the edge it's incredibly ornate there's pictures of peacocks there's pictures of it's almost the board is drawn on the human body there's like a great square and with the arms at the side and the legs at the bottom and the head at the top, symbolizing what we've been talking about, I suppose. This is one of the most figurative types of the board that you'll find, where the board is really a square grid inserted like the torso of a human body. And the idea here is that in this version of the board, which belongs to a particular religious community in India, there are different boards for different religious communities. The one you're talking about, where the board is inserted inside the figure of the human being, it belongs to the Jaina religious community. And here, the human being around the board really represents the cosmic man. So this is the idea that cosmos exists in the shape of a human being. And the entire game is set inside the body because the game board represents the entire body of the universe, so to speak. 
However, there is a double meaning which is important, which is the cosmic man, but at the same time, it's also a human individual standing in a pose of intense meditation with his arms hanging down his side. This is a position of meditation called Kayotsaga, which means the abandonment of the body. So you stand like frozen and waiting, you know, for vines to grow up your feet and legs until you're completely immobilized by nature. And this pose of meditation means that the game board is also a microcosm because the game board does not just represent the universe, it also represents the universe that is exists inside the human body. That is, it's a map of the universe, but it's also a map of the subtle body or the astral body, as we sometimes call it. And as soon as I sort of made that discovery that the games really have this double-sided notion, it becomes possible to start thinking about where did these game boards originate? Because on the one hand, they originate in maps of the cosmos. You can say, well, we take a map of the cosmos, divide it into squares and play a game on it. But there is a different possibility that I find more compelling, which is the game may really have originated in maps of the subtle body, of the astral body. These kind of maps, and I'll unpack it a little bit, are maps that are related to traditions of Tantra. So these tantric rituals or mystic rituals that we find in India would sometimes use maps of the subtle body. A map of the subtle body would be figurative, so it would just be a drawing of a human body. And then inside the human body, there would be illustrations of chakras and energy channels and serpent powers, and all these things would be drawn on them. And then the tantric practitioner would sit in front of this image and he would visualize how the kundalini power that we also sometimes speak of in the west that is the serpent power how that would uncoil and rise up through the different chakras of the subtle body until the energy was coming out through the top of the head above the highest chakra amazing okay because i was going to ask where the snakes come from it comes from kundalini is that images of kundalini we don't actually know where the snakes come from. They may also represent energy channels in the body. But what seems to be happening, to me at least, is that really the game was not a game to begin with. It was a chart that you would use to visualize the rising of the serpent power through the subtle body or astral body we sometimes call it in the west it is kind of the invisible counterpart to your physical body and it's where in a yogic tradition you would have the chakras these energy wheels would be mapped onto this astral body and by unlocking these different chakras and making the power rise through these chakras you can achieve a state of liberation so the way that the pawns move in snakes and ladders you move row by row you don't move up and down directly complete one row then you go up one row complete that row and you constantly change sides so it's a zigzag movement or a serpentine movement so the way you move through the board is actually the way that a snake is coiled and this is the metaphor for how the serpent power rises in the subtle body so you can imagine this before it was a game being a chart where you would sit and look at it, you would meditate on it, and then you would visualize how the serpent power rose in this serpentine fashion throughout this chart until you reach liberation. So you could say it's a tool for visualization and meditation. Then perhaps, and this is my hypothesis, but of course based on my research on the subject, is that at some point these maps were kind of gamified and say, okay, we can also make a game out of this visualization practice. So that's pretty much what you're looking at when you're looking at an Indian game board. It's a gamified map of the subtle body. That's such a beautiful description. So 
at its heart, it comes from Jainism, other mystic traditions, I suppose. Is that right? Yes, it comes from multiple mystic traditions in India. Just for our listeners, if they want to Google what I'm looking at, <laughs> what should they put into the search engine? Because it's so beautiful and so ornate. I think if they just Google old Indian snakes and ladders, something will pop up. There's words written inside the boxes as well. There's language. I'm just wondering what's written there. What, what am I looking at? Well, each square has its own inscription, and the inscription refers to a particular principle of the cosmos. So, for example, in the central row of the board, each of the squares will have an inscription describing the plane of existence. So at the bottommost square of the central column, it'll say Bhulok, which means the earth. Then it'll say Bhuvalok, which means the sky, Shvaklok, which means heaven, and then different planes of existence going up. So that's the central column. And then around that, you will find inscriptions of different qualities, like krod, meaning anger, or lob, meaning greed, or sukha, meaning happiness. So different qualities of existence. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Why were medieval priests so worried that women were going to seduce men with fish that they'd kept in their pants? Who was the first gay activist? And what on earth does the expression sneezing in the cabbage mean? I'll tell you, it's not a cookery technique, that's for sure. Join me, Kate Lister, on Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast where we will be bed-hopping throughout time and civilization to bring you the quirkiest and kinkiest stories from history. As promised, there will be... Sex. Anne has said that Henry is not skillful in copulating with a woman and has neither vigour nor potency. And scandal. Everybody just descends onto this crime scene. 
and it's being pulled apart by members of the public sort of as quickly as they can excavate the bodies. And moments which shaped society. Pointy boobs then became a thing and were still a thing into the 1950s. What more could you possibly want? Listen to Betwixt the Sheets today, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. A podcast by History Hit. You mentioned this idea of gamification, that sort of crossover between exploring mystic traditions, exploring the cosmos and our place in the cosmos. I can sort of understand the board being a kind of map of that, a tool, if you like. Where does that sense of need to gamify it come in? What does that say about us? I think it says that we are a playful species. The big question in the study of games and religion and how they relate is really sort of a chicken and egg question. You know, did we start playing games first or did we start doing divination first? Because it's very much the same thing. You mean you will throw a die or you'll throw a coin and it'll tell you to go left or right in life. But you could also stake some money on whether it'll land on one or the other side, and then immediately you have turned divination into gambling. It's so closely interrelated that we're just capable of turning anything into a game. I mean, look at all the apps on your phone. If you go for a run in the park, there'll be a little game, you know? That's interesting. Yeah, it's a great motivator, isn't it? Let's move away from India. I'm interested in how we get from this very deep, beautiful mysticism through to snakes and ladders becoming just a commoner garden game in the West. I know there were Victorian versions of it as well. Presumably the British in India, we took cultural things back to Britain. Is that fair? Yeah. Snakes and Ladders first appears in the 1890s in the UK. And what happens is that the Snakes and Ladders appears a game mechanic on games that are very moralistic in their outlook. They are games about vices and virtues and about, you know, how to grow up and become a proper human being in life. Again, a sort of model of our beliefs. I'm just looking at a picture of a Victorian one. And exactly as you're saying, some of these squares have things like all the deadly sins and they have pictures of a man praying with penitence and sloth and vanity and selfishness and pride. So all those qualities are represented in these squares. What you'll notice is whereas the Indian games have to do with spirituality and liberation and growing as a person through life, these games are much more sort of practical. They'll teach you how to behave in society and how to become a good citizen. For example, there will be a square called Vanity, where you have the lady of the house looking into a mirror and there'll be a snake biting her and suddenly she'll end up in a couple of rows down being sort of a housemate, presumably in the same house. So there's like a loss of status here if you engage in vanity, whereas you also have a square called pity with a little girl giving a coin to a blind man sitting with a dog, and that will lead her up to the first virtue, which is one of the seven virtues designated on the board. So what you really have is that you transfer this complex religious world into a world of social mores, how to behave in society. Now, these games about social mores pre-existed snakes and ladders in the West. We have many examples previously. We even have games called things like virtue rewarded and vice punished, for example, in the 1830s. But what happened here is that what was really novel in these snakes and ladders game in the 1890s were the snakes and ladders themselves, because it was a unique game mechanic. Previously, if you landed on a square, you'd have to look up in a little booklet that was supplied with the game, and you have to read what happens when I land on 
on square 23 and you have to pay a coin to the kitty and you have to fall back two stairs or something like that. But now you have this immediate visual connector between squares. So it makes for a much more flowing gameplay. You just land on a square and you slide up and you don't even have to be literate in order to play it. So kids can play it even before they can read. So it's a very ingenious game mechanic. And what the British game manufacturers lifted from India was this game mechanic. They didn't lift all that heavy-handed religious content properly because who would understand it? I mean, how would you introduce such a game? But they took this core mechanic because snakes and ladders boats in India, mystical as they are, were mass-produced in the 1890s in places like Mumbai, Chennai, Lahore. So it's quite obvious that British people in India would have seen these game boats and understood how they worked and then say, let's forget about all these complex inscriptions that we don't understand and just take that mechanic, you know, and apply it to our own system of virtues and vices. You would also have in some of these Victorian versions in the winning square, there would be names of great persons that you want to be like. It will say things like Livingstone, Watt, Newton, Washington, Nightingale. And by practicing the virtues on the board, you can become one of the great men or women of society. <laughs> really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I still encounter people who tell me that they're playing it when I'm giving talks. And it's still also quite popular in India. But the interesting part of the story is also that if you go to India today, I just returned from India, people will generally not know anything about Gyan Chopper, that is the predecessor of Snakes and Ladders. But they'll all know the British Snakes and Ladders because it was reintroduced back into India and has completely replaced the original game. It's one of these things that something so ordinary, so familiar as Snakes and Ladders just opens this utterly fantastic fantastic world of us and how we see ourselves and our obsession and our cultural worries. How did you get into it? Well, my moment was seeing one of these game boards in a book and just immediately being attracted to it because most traditional games that we know, like Czech and Chessers and Ludo and all these things, they're just abstract diagrams. But when you look at a Snakes and Ladders board, you'll find that the game is also inscribed. And as a student of Indian languages, I was attracted to find out what's actually written on this game board. And then when I started reading reading the inscriptions, I discovered that these are actually core cosmic principles on this game board. So what is this game? And that led me down a long path of studying it. I ended up spending three years writing my dissertation on the history of the game. It's fantastic because there's so many games that seem to be or act as portals. They have a much deeper meaning than I'd ever really taken into account. Yeah, and it's not just Snakes and Ladders. I mean, Snakes and Ladders is just a brilliant example because in the old Indian version, it is so upfront about what it is because all the squares are inscribed. But in other games, like people will know Ludo, for example, this cruciform board, usually played by four players where you move around, you have to get to the middle. That's also an Indian game. In fact, if you go to India, it's called Chopard, whereas Snakes and Ladders are called Gyan Chopard. So snakes and ladders is the ludo of knowledge. Those words, those Indian, what do they actually mean? Jnan means knowledge in the sense of sort of high spiritual knowledge. And Chopard is the name of ludo. It means basically a game board with four arms, so to speak, because it's this cross-like shape. Does that have a religious significance, the cross shape? If you start to dive into the history of ludo, you'll find similar story to the one that you have about snakes and ladders, how the center of the ludo board is sort of the empty origins of the universe and the four arms of the Ludo board are the four directions in which the physical reality unfolds. And each arm of a Ludo board has eight by three squares, which is 24 squares, corresponding to the 24 principles of material creation, the 25th principle being consciousness, which exists in the empty center at the middle of the board. Now, when you play the game, the pawns that come out of the empty center 
are souls being born into the world. Again, when you start diving into these abstract shapes and games, everywhere you will find that they have layers of interpretations attached to them, which gives them sort of a much deeper meaning than what you normally think of when you sit on the floor of your children's bedroom and play them. Now, Jacob, you've just come back from India. I know you've just been on a trip. Just tell us what this trip was all about. Well, I'm currently preparing a book on the history of board games in India going back 5,000 years. And my recent trip to India was just tying up some loose ends that I needed for the book. So I was mostly focusing on the living traditions of playing these old board games in India today and etchings of game boards in old structures like dilapidated temples, forts, rock-cut caves, etc., finding game boards etched into the floors of these structures where we know that people were playing them. Do people still play them within the sense that you were talking about, that sort of spiritual exploration of the self? They're not really played for any sort of divinatory or self-exploratory purpose in India. That only happens in these sort of more new-agey communities. But the old games are still being played, usually by the older generations in India. I was in the holy city of Varanasi, down by the Ganges River, and I found a game board etched into the stairs leading down to the river. And there was a guy sitting there, and I asked him if he knew the game. And he said he knew the game very well, and if I wanted to play with him. And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, like, how much do you want to stake? And I immediately understood that it was a gambling game. So, well, I staked some money, but I know the rules too, because I studied these games. And he was perfectly aware of how the game was played, and he was pretty damn good at it. So he just basically won everything I staked on the game. But we had an afternoon of feeling like what it might have been sitting there hundreds of years ago on the banks of the Ganges, playing these games for just a bit of money to heighten the tension of the game a little bit. So that is, of course, a dying tradition. But you can still find it in pockets. And that was definitely one of the main purposes of my trip, to really document that they do still live on these traditions in some limited way. Jacob, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. I really, really enjoyed this. For our listeners, if they want to read a little bit more about this, where can we point them to? They can Google my name, for example, and they'll find my thesis and articles available. And Googling, again, ancient Indian board games, ancient Indian snakes and ladders, there's not a whole lot written about it, which is also one of the reasons that I decided to start working with it, of course. They're so beautiful. Yeah, if you're listening, I'd really like you to Google some of those boards because they're just fantastic. Jacob, thank you very much indeed. It's been an absolute joy and a pleasure. Thank you for taking us on this wonderful tour of Snakes and Ladders. That's it. Hopefully you will never think of Snakes and Ladders in the same way again. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to tell your friends, etc, etc. And if you have an idea that you would like us to cover or investigate, you can email us at patented at historyhit.com or you can gently stalk me on social media and send me a message. Thank you very, very much for your company. As ever, we'll see you next time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.